Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Part of our journey lately has been going through the book of Job, and there's a bit of going back and forth and a big of a bit of lamentation on Job's part. And I want you to consider this from John Walton and Kelly Lemon Viscaino commentators. They write, This trap in which Job has fallen is common enough today. God demands too much. My friends, that's some important words. I'll keep reading. Job has neglected or at least underestimated grace. By this, I am not suggesting that Job should have seen how God's grace was evident in his circumstances. Instead, I refer to the necessity of understanding that God's actions are always infused with grace. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself scripturally and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including an important thing for us to remember as we read this narrative from a few thousand years ago. There's some part of human nature that is the same. So Walter and Lemon Vescaino continue. They write, In Job's view, justice is a runaway train and grace was left stranded at the station. Such thinking seriously misrepresents God's character. Unfortunately, many people have concluded that this petty, judgmental God dominates the Old Testament and that the God of grace and love only appears in the New Testament in the person of Christ. This is dangerous theology. My friends, um, well, I won't name names. If you have questions, ask me. There's one really big popular movement of and big, past, big name pastor who is committing this fallacy. Final thoughts from Walton and Lemon Viscano. God knows our weaknesses. The God of the Old Testament is the very God that became incarnate in Jesus and is the very God whom Christ called people to follow. The Old Testament is full of God's grace. What a beautiful reminder as we turn to our New Testament segment and finish off 1 Corinthians. Um, I'm just going to polish it off. 1 Corinthians 16. Now, about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they'll travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry is opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you, because he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me, because 
I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not willing at all to come. Now, however, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus Fortunatus and Achaeus, uh, Achaicus <laughs> present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Lord, our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. And that wraps up a crazy trip through through 1 Corinthians. What a what an interesting book. A lot of getting in their business, but some amazing thoughts and theology if not and you know ultimately all grounded in what love and the resurrection all right we're going to turn back to our old testament segment now um you know what let me make one other comment about first corinthians if paul were to write a letter to the average church today he probably would only have to rewrite just what he wrote in first corinthians right because i mean in a way the Corinthians world was much like our own our own world, right? I mean, Corinth had the same permissiveness toward moral standards, the same thirst for the spectacular, the same thirst for intellectualism. Though I think ours is perhaps even more tainted by a theology of moral relativism and and uh, and a supremacy of personal idolatry, individualism. Still, among Paul's doctrinal and pastoral expositions to the Corinthians and their specific situation, I think there's a bridge to the context of today, right? Importantly, God's truth applies to all people at all times. And all of this is grounded in the ultimate proof point and the sum of all proof points, which I just said, the resurrection. And ironically, people today think they're being original, right? Yet they have the same complaints and make the same arguments that people did long ago. God's not fair. I worship a God of love, not some grumpy Old Testament man. You know, anyway. Well, today we continue with the third in our in our Old Testament segment. I'll shut up. With uh, the third of three discourses in the first cycle of speeches in Job. And so Job's friend Zohar attacks Job, accusing him of unconfessed sin. And Job hits back responds to Zophar's attacks, and he challenges Zophar to hear his defense and, you know, even accusing him of lies. So with that, Job 11 through 14. Then Zophar the Amathite replied, Should this abundance of words go unanswered? Am such a talker be acquitted? Should your babbling put others to silence so that you can keep on ridiculing with no one to humiliate you? 
You have said, My teaching is sound and I'm pure in your sight. But if only God would speak and open his lips against you. He would show you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know then that God has chosen to overlook some of your iniquity. Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he passes by and throws someone in prison or convenes a court, who can stop him? Surely he knows which people are worthless. If he sees iniquity, will he not take note of it? But a stupid person will gain understanding as soon as a wild donkey is born a human. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Stupid person will gain understanding as soon as a wild donkey is born a human. As for you, if you redirect your heart and spread out your hands to him in prayer, if there is iniquity in your hand, remove it and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents, then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid, for you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as water that has flowed by. Your life will be brighter than noonday, and its darkness will be like the morning. You'll be confident because there is hope. You will look carefully about and lie down in safety. You'll lie down in no one, with no one to frighten you, and many will seek your favor, but the sight of the wicked will fail. Their way of escape will be cut off. And their only hope is their last breath. Then Job answered, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I also have a mind like you. I'm not inferior to you. Who doesn't know about the things you're talking about? I am a laughingstock to my friends by calling on God who answers me. The righteous and blameless man is a laughingstock. The one who is at ease holds calamity and contempt and thinks it is prepared for those whose feet are slipping. The tents of robbers are safe and those who trouble God are secure. God holds them in his hands. But ask the animals and they will instruct you. Instruct you. Ask the birds of the sky and they'll tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will instruct you. Let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? The life of every living thing is in his hand, as well as the breath of all humanity. Doesn't the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is found with the elderly, and understanding comes with long life. Wisdom and strength belong to God. Counsel and understanding are his. Whatever he tears down cannot be rebuilt. Whoever he imprisons cannot be released. When he withholds water, everything dries up, and when he releases it, it destroys the land. True wisdom and power belong to him. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away barefoot and makes judges go mad. He releases the bonds put on by kings and fastens a belt around their waists. He leads priests away barefoot and overthrows established leaders. He deprives trusted advisors of speech and takes away the elders' good judgment. He pours out contempt on nobles and disarms the strong. He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deepest darkness into light. He makes nations great and then destroys them. He enlarges nations, then leads them away. 
He deprives the world's leaders of reason and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. They grope around in darkness without light. He makes them stagger like a drunkard. Look, my eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. Everything you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you. Yet I prefer to speak to the Almighty and argue my case before God. You use lies like plaster. You are all worthless healers. If only you would shut up and let that be your wisdom. Hear now my argument and listen to my defense. Would you testify unjustly on God's behalf or speak deceitfully for him? Would you show partiality to him or argue the case in his defense? Would it go well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you would deceive a man? Surely he would rebuke you if you secretly showed partiality. Would God's majesty not terrify you? Would his dread not fall on you? Your memorable sayings are proverbs of ash. Your defenses are made of clay. Be quiet, for and I will speak. Let whatever comes happen to me. I will put myself at risk. I'll take my life in my own hands. My friends, this next line is one of the most amazing lines in the whole Bible. I'm going to back up a verse just so you can hear the context. Do my best not to choke up or choke up more. Be quiet and I will speak. Let whatever comes happen to me. I will put myself at risk and take my life in my own hands. Even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. Yes, this will result in my deliverance, for no godless person can appear before him. Pay close attention to my words. Let my declaration ring in your ears. Now then, I have prepared my case. I know that I'm right. Can anyone indict me? If so, I'll be silent and die. Only grant these two things to me, God, so that I will not have to hide from your presence. Remove your hand from me and do not let your terror frighten me. Then call and I will answer or I will speak and and you can respond to me. My friends, if you've ever dealt with suffering, I can understand you having a similar kind of response. He's going, God, I just ask these two things. Would you lighten the load here? And then when I talk, would you answer? That's a pretty human response, isn't it? Remove your hand from me and do not let your terror frighten me. And then call and I will answer or I'll speak and you can respond to me. How many iniquities and sins have I committed? Reveal to me my transgression and sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you frighten a wind-driven leaf? Will you chase after dry straw for your... You record bitter accusations against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in stocks and stand watch over all my paths, setting a limit for the soles of my feet. A person wears out like something rotten, like a moth-eaten garment. 
Anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. He blossoms like a flower and then withers. He flees like a shadow and does not last. Do you really take notice of one like this? Will you bring me into judgment against you? Who can produce something pure from what is impure? No one. Since a person's days are determined by the number of his months, and the number of his months depends on you, and since you have set limits he cannot pass, look away from him and let him rest, so that he can enjoy his day like a hired worker. There is hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it'll sprout again, and it, its shoots will not die. If its roots grow old in the ground and its stump starts to die in the soil, the scent of water makes it thrive and produce twigs like a sapling. But a person dies and fades away. He breathes his last. Where is he? As water disappears from the lake and a river becomes parched and dry, so people lie down again, never to rise again. They will not wake up until the heavens are no more. They will not stir from their sleep. If only, if only you would hide me in Sheol and conceal me until your anger passes. If only you would appoint a time for me and then remember me. When a person dies, will he come back to life? If so, I would wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. My friends, I'm going to read that again. Where is your hope? Listen to this line from Job. When a person dies, will he come back to life? Rhetorical answer, no. What does he say? If so, I would wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands, for then you would count my steps, but would not take note of my sin. My rebellion would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. But as a mountain collapses and crumbles and a rock is dislodged from its place, as water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soils from the land, so you destroy a man's hope. You completely overpower him and he passes on. You change his appearance and send him away. If his sons receive honor, he does not know it. If they become insignificant, he's unaware of it. He feels only the pain in his own body and mourns only for himself. Friends, I wish we had more time to just kind of dig into that. Some of it clearly is kind of couched in the, the misperspective of 3,000 years ago. But I hope that you catch that every once in a while. You just catch one of those little nuggets part of the value of just reading the whole thing uh, and here on Easter week I think that supports the story we're going to close with a really short little psalm Psalm 100 and it's a psalm of thanksgiving may we pray this together let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord serve the Lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs acknowledge that the Lord is God he made us, and we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness endures through all generations.
My friends, I think I'm just going to leave it right there. I love you. Amen. Amen.